Hi, Dad. Hi, Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high-control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? <laughs> well, maybe in my head. The thing is, though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. <laughs> well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hello and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine, And I'm Stephen. And today we're going to talk about a topic that um, I've found particularly interesting for quite a while, emotional labour. Um, Dad, you also find it interesting. Uh, I do. Yes. bit of a buzzword not that long ago. I think it's still used, but it's not uh, to the same degree of, of excitement it was used. Um, for a few <laughs> well, it years, was, it was on the tip of everybody's was. tongue. Oh, emotional labour. And it was also extended, wasn't it, to other areas as well. So mm-hmm. um, what is emotional labour? What do we mean by that term? So the term emotional labour is basically the... I'd say the emotional heavy lifting you do to provide someone a service potentially like like as an example. So I'll give an example and then maybe you can give a definition if I'm struggling a bit there. So I would say emotional labor is for instance, you going to your service job, you're having a really hard day, something bad's happened, you know, maybe your car's broke down and you're feeling really rubbish. And then you uh, see a customer and you put on a massive big smile and you say oh hello there what can I do for you what brings you into store today and you know yeah. they and you go off and you put on a performance of 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 happiness to make the customer happy that's right yeah so um I mean that the book it, it came from the uh the academic and writer Arlie Hoschild is the is the person that came up with this term she yes. wrote a book called the managed heart didn't she, she did um, which i believe you've read at, at school at school at uh, at uni mm-hmm. um she actually gave the example of flight attendants um and in a very similar way to you just described uh, your example um flight attendants obviously are a good example of of this they have to be sort of happy all the time uh, or look happy all the time and they have to convey this this sense of of happiness and cheerfulness um, because they want to give the customer a good experience or at least the organization wants to give the customer a good experience um, and so it's this term managed heart I think is a brilliant one it so is, yeah. if you think about heart as being the emotional um, center if you like um, your 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 emotions are being literally managed by the place that you work mm-hmm you're it's, being told not only do you have to smile but you have to care exactly so it's um it's all about experience basically mm. so um i read obviously i did read a, a lot of uh Hoschild's book the managed heart but i also read um i think one of her just separate essays um as well and it was discussing you know this idea yeah it's all about experience and the it's so you're not selling a customer a product, you're selling an experience. So that, yeah, that requires 
you to be happy and to give them yeah you know everything you can of of yourself basically or selling yourself to them as much as anything mm. else which i think is i guess represented as well i just thought off the top of my head the way that you know whenever you go somewhere to like a, a restaurant or you go for yeah. um, a retail experience you get a uh thing at the bottom of your receipt that says please tell us how we did yes, and right. it's rating your experience with that mm. person so not only are you being managed as well by your your team your manager you're being managed by the expectations it's so part of our yeah of our um, world now there's a there's a really interesting paper that i um dug out it's uh it looks like it's open access, so I'll put a link to that on the show notes as well. It's by Marek um, Korzynski um, mm-hmm. from Loughborough University, and um, he talks about, I don't know if this might be a term from the managed heart, but he describes it as the customer's enchanting myth of their mm-hmm. own sovereignty. Mm-hmm. So this, I think, is a brilliant way. So in other words, the customer is king, and the customer mm-hmm. believes they're king or queen, so they have this enchanting myth that they are the, uh, you know, the, 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 the being that has to have all the benefits from that relationship. And, you know, we're told, aren't we, the customer is everything, you know, customer's always right. We had this little discussion, I guess, on the... I was about to say, if you've not about, listened to yeah. Optimised Crapness yet, you should, because <laughs> exactly. I think it's going to feed quite nicely we into this quite one. A bit about it there, yeah. So this is the myth that I guess we're sold as customers, is that, you know, you're going to walk in and you're going to be waited on. Um, and then what can happen is um, the painful... Well, the way that he described it was the painful journey from enchantment to disillusionment. <laughs> I don't know why it just made me smile. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's when you realise that actually you thought you were king, but now you realise you're not and you can't get everything you wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when people behave perhaps badly. But at this point, you as, a, a, as an assistant, sales assistant or the flight attendant or whatever it is, the carer, whatever your job is, um, it's your job apparently to maintain that happy caring um myth if you like to to make the person still think that they are king even though the bureaucracy of the organization means that they're not getting what they want so it's a it's a very contradictory relationship and it's one that is fraught with um confusion and upset i guess really Mm. um and that's that's at the heart of i think some of the problems with it yeah so yeah we've i think we've defined that um fairly well but i mean simply put it's the fact that you're expected as a worker so we are talking particularly at work at the moment but it can be extended um as a worker though you're expected to not only pretend to be happy but actually be happy and sink your emotions into that role um and that's that's what you're recruited for so you so they recruit for people who feel that and you're also managed to do that. So people want to, the organization wants to manage you so that you continue to give or increase your levels of emotional investment into the job. That's it. I was just, um, <clears throat> I was just looking to see if I could find it then. Is uh, Well, I, I wrote an essay 
um, where I was exploring these things, but about my particular workplace at the time. I don't yeah. work there anymore, so I won't. Okay. I'll say the kind of area that I worked. I won't say the exact place, but I worked okay. in a in a shoe store mm. um, where experience was very important because it was a you know mm. top end shoe store. So mm. you need to be what makes it different from going to cheap shop down the road and it's a bit it's about experience so Mm -hmm. you know as you go um I guess at least for me experiencing retail as you go up the price tag the experience expectation is increased and I feel like maybe as a consumer do you think that's an expectation you would put on as well absolutely I mean it's what it is essentially what we were talking about wasn't it when we we said about retail uh well particularly retail um having to i suppose step up because it is the difference between being able to order something on amazon or just ordering something online and actually physically going to a shop you you can get that increased level of um good feels i suppose by feeling that you are being taken care of that the whole experience is is something that you know is enjoyable to you so yeah absolutely i think that is what we're we're looking for as customers Um, but it comes at a cost and the i guess the question is is who's paying the cost and i think there is some concern that actually it's the person on minimum wage or on a very low wage who is actually paying the cost of that extra um, investment that, you know, the organization, they just demand that as a requirement to work there. Um, But it's not necessarily fair really that the, the person being paid very little is, is being expected to, uh, to deliver that. Um, I should say as well, I want to, we want to make sure that um, I guess our listeners understand we are, we are, going to apply this to high control groups and cults and and religious organizations because i think this is an area that's not really been explored but if you think about it it's absolutely an area where emotional labor happens Mm. all the time so we are we are going to get there but we we just want to explore i guess first of all what what we know about emotional labor what's been discussed about it already yeah i think it's um like i say it's important to understand in the sense of like emotional labor is like I said yeah it's a buzzword but it's also something that's so part of everyday life and just Mm. so expected um so yeah that's kind of wanted wanted to break it down because I think everybody knows quite quite everybody knows emotional labor and they they could describe to you that experience they just Mm. don't necessarily have that term for it potentially yeah that's right it's a bit Um, of a geeky term isn't it but yeah but I think it's a lived experience by most humans absolutely you know i mean like just being and it's not to say that all emotional labor is evil or bad because i think being a parent is incredibly emotional emotionally laborious you know you're constantly (laughs) having to like you know control your emotions around a child because you don't want to like blow up blow up on them do you so you're Mm. you know having to be like you know, they're throwing a fit and you've got to explain to them calmly while they can't, you know, you can't just shout at them in the street, you know, like, Indeed. you know, this is emotional labor as well. Um, caring for your, your elderly relative because you want to, um, is still emotionally like difficult and laboring. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's when you're having to regulate your emotions, um, 
uh, I guess, for the benefit of the receiver mm-hmm. of a service of some kind. Yeah. And, and that could be commercial, or I guess it, it doesn't have to be. And I, I think, um, you know, something that we maybe touch on at a later date a bit more is if you're, um, if you have mental health um issues i think you're doing a lot of emotional labor you know when you're masking or Mm. pretending to be okay you go home and you like lay on the bed and just like you know just let that all go you know or like say Mm. if you have got um say you've got autism and you have tics and you suppress Mm. that all day that that's very emotionally laboring you know certain things so it's um it's a whole mass of many 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 things um that emotional yeah. labor is is part but of i think what uh, i think that's you're right that's always been um identified we I, I think nobody would be surprised that people put on yeah uh, an emotion you know that's that's something that i guess i'm not saying it's it's okay but i think human beings are you don't very always much aware. want to be completely on your exactly. heart on your sleeve constantly yeah but I think where where um, Hostchild really took it was saying that in things like the commercial world, this is now it's almost like a contractual yeah. um, requirement. And obviously, she talked yeah she talked about um, particular industries like flight attendants and so on, retail. But an area that you're particularly interested in, and I am too, but I think you're particularly interested in, mm-hmm. is, is the care sector. Yeah. Definitely. And again, you know, we have here a, a group of people who are in many ways beleaguered. The, mm-hmm. the workers in care, in care homes, uh, many of them may be immigrants who mm-hmm. in, in itself, that's um, unfortunately in some quarters seen as, you know, um, a problem mm-hmm. despite the fact they're looking after our parents and our grandparents you know um it was one of the the issues around brexit and so on um so that community feels beleaguered in the first place and then you've got this this need to not just look after the physical needs of the of the people in these care homes or in their own homes mm. but actually have a relationship with them and, and make them feel happy and um, safe and all of that and I think yeah I mean you can talk more about it because yeah. it's your thing well but... um, I'll, I'll find the source again so we can put mm. this in the show notes but um, I was reading a uh, like a first person point of view from you know mm. I was reading about emotional labor and then yeah. within that there was someone's uh, sort of story and they were talking about you know, they were on the morning shift, they go in and, you know, there's an elderly person that, try, that you know, they go in, they need to change them because they've soiled themselves mm-hmm. and they go through all that process. It's not easy because, you know, they've got dementia and they um, often paranoia comes with dementia. So they don't, mm-hmm. they think you're up to something. So you've yes, got right. to kind of battle that. So you're going yeah, exactly. through the process of mm-hmm. saying, no, it's me. You remember such and such. I'm here to take care of you. We're going to get yeah. you cleaned up. So you go through mm-hmm. all that process. It takes you probably quite a while to get them all cleaned up bear in mind you're on a time scale as well yeah so you're you're trying to be emotionally supportive to this person while you're on a time scale so you you've got to convince them that that you you can do this and you go on mm. you do it you eventually you're trying to feed them now you've got to feed them yourself you've got to 
you know, do all of that and you eventually and then you move on to your next room and the exact same thing has happened. She this the next client have also saw themselves mm. and you know, she she does that a couple of times and then she goes into the next room and it's the same thing. They've also, mm. you know, they need cleaning, they need a full clean. And um she just like takes a step into the into a separate a quiet room for a second, has a cry, mm. and then she goes back in and she carries on with her day. And she was like, this is all before eight o'clock in the morning. Mm. And I've got a 12 hour day ahead of me. So I had to have a little cry and I went back and I carried on. Um, So, you know, that's your prime example of some emotional labor being done from the care front. Yeah. And then, and then on the way home, you know, you turn on the radio and, and you've got. um, Someone telling you that. The foreigners can get out of here, and you look at well, yourself yeah, and yeah, think, "Oh, yeah. brilliant!" <laughs> we, we only you want know. high skill, yeah, labor high skilled labour in, this country, in this country, and you know what that means, you know. Mm. So it's it's calling what you do unskilled, and also just mm. your very existence in this country is is mm. is annoying. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, that also, in, I mean, to use another buzzword, burnout. I mean, mm. um you know you're doing all this emotional labor and and burnout is basically created by when you you're not getting the results or like you know you feel like what you're doing isn't isn't bearing anything do you know what i mean so you're you're, as long as you can either enjoy it or you can see the goal you can Mm. often avoid burnout but if if you know you're going through all this emotional labor and then you seemingly no one cares those two things together yeah and and I think what's uh, another element that's interesting here, again, you talked about it a little bit when we discussed customer service um, in our previous pod, um, that, you know, you particularly, um, or, you know, obviously you can testify to this, you know, you, you want to help the customer. Mm-hmm. You really want them to have a good experience. And, I do. It's and true. again, that's, that's comes from a natural place and it's also, I guess, a requirement, but it, you know whatever is happening whether it's be because they've recruited the right person or whether they've trained it into you you are now in a position where you're in a a a situation with a customer and you really want to help them want to please Mm -hmm. them want to give them the service that they want if they then turn on you um then that has a much greater impact upon Mm -hmm. you and this this paper i was talking about um it's called communities of coping collective emotional labor so i'll talk about the collective bit in a minute but they identify that this is one of the biggest problems is that you know you're and and the quote from somebody called benson and the the phrase is our friend the enemy so Mm. it's basically this confusing situation where the person that gives you the your validation your feelings of worth your feelings that you're doing a good job and and actually makes you feel good about the job is the customer but they're now turning on you and yeah. they're the enemy now. And that's and that must be, you know, probably ten times if you're caring for somebody who again has dementia or just just has, you know, a lot of pain and having a really bad day. You know, you want them to um to get comfort from your presence and you want to help them, but they're turning on you. So that they become your friend and enemy mm. at the same time. Um I think so I this think... is often very part and parcel of emotional labour. You can think of all yeah. the examples we said, like like I just said with kids as well. You want to do all these things, and sometimes they're just horrible to you because <laughs> they're kids and they're still like you know learning. But I mean, or like yeah. we talked about Queen's Gambit before. She has, says throws that horrible insult to Mister Shibel. She doesn't even know what it means. Do you know what I yes. mean? But like 
things like that it's like yeah um it's another example for you there uh of, of that yeah definitely um so I, I think it's something that we we are interested in um i, I know celine you, you've got a plan to actually do a piece about this yeah. uh, make a film about this yeah um i don't know how much you want to talk about that i can talk there. a little bit about yeah. it in that yeah i'm gonna make a short film um that's gonna explore the emotional labor of one instance in a carer's experience so yeah. it's going to be you have what are called care calls so you only can have so many minutes so i mean like you might only have seven minutes that you're meant to um get your elderly client up dressed and ready As if you're interested in this particular topic there is um a very interesting piece called 15 minutes of shame that is um all about the kind of care sector in england mm. and its failings to the carers not just the people being mm. cared for but failing to the carers um because yeah it's giving them 15 minutes to care and to do what is required and mm. it's just not enough time to care yeah. um yeah. in any sense of that word mm. so yeah that that it's really interesting and it's going into the yeah, emotional impact of that for both the the receiver and the giver of the care so that's really yeah. interesting we can pop that in the show notes mm. um but yeah kind of because again it's um ugh, it's it's commodifying what is like a a natural resource i suppose like if you want yeah. to call it that like so we mm. people typically have care in them like that people typically mm. care so if you see someone that needs help we typically feel the need or desire to help um and some more than others and you imagine that those are the people that get into the care industry to help um and yeah this industry is the way it's being run at the moment mm. takes that natural resource of care and commodifies mm. it and says okay do that in 15 minutes and someone yeah. says i can't it's not possible to do that in 15 minutes and they go well such and such a body said they can do it in seven. So, I mean, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, right. you know, because ultimately as well, people need to get paid. Um, and, and yeah. you know, you get people, I get, like, like when there's strikes and you have scab workers, so people that come in and replace the ones that are on strike, mm. you know, it, it's not their fault. The, you know, it's a bad situation. Yeah. Uh, and again, without just repeating the previous podcast, part of the drive for this is, um, particularly in public sector jobs, is this drive for efficiency, uh, for uh, value for money for the taxpayer. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's that's a good thing. You know, everybody pays their taxes. They want their money to be used properly, efficiently. They don't want it wasted. But that does lead us down a road, I think, where we have to be a bit careful and we start to consider everything as we would a manufacturing plant mm -hmm. and i don't think it's acceptable to treat the visit to an elderly person who you know some days okay it might only take 15 minutes but other days she might be really upset and there might be something going on in her mind that that she needs help with you know and you just I'm sorry, I've got 15 minutes and that's it. That just doesn't cut it. So no. I think there's an inappropriateness sometimes of the application of some of the tools that I'm familiar with, like lean and mm -hmm. uh, those sorts of things, that yes, they work very well in a manufacturing plant, but are they appropriate for 
every single situation and i would argue not well this is the thing so i mean um i think it's obviously more detrimental in the care industry because of the implications Mm. it has but this is completely um i can't believe i didn't mention it during our um our crapness episode but um (laughs) when i worked at the shoe shop undisclosed name um you have seven minutes to measure fit and get them at the till seven minutes for you to also feel like you've been treated well also i'm going to sell you some shoe polish because i have a quota of (laughs) shoes i have a a monetary target to me Mm. in terms of how many shoes i sell i also have a separate accessories target which means shoe polish wax all of the things that you know we try and flog you for shoes mm. you know so that means i start talking about that early on in the process oh if you like mm. painting are you going to want to get the painting you know mm. oh, you know start embedding that in yep. early um we have a bunch of jargon in the retail industry as to all of these terms and so on but mm. seven minutes where i make you like me enough as well to hopefully give yep. me a review at the end so <laughs> do you know what i mean so i've got so yeah. and i'm running upstairs coming down with i have to bring you know, I have to bring you, uh, the, you know, the main shoe you wanted, another shoe as an option. I need to bring you something for PE, that, like physical education. I need to bring you, you know, this mm. X, Y, and Z, because I want to buy as many as possible. The goal is to get two <laughs> shoes in one sale wherever you can, yeah. you know. So all of this mm. is going on while you need to make them like you, because that's basically the goal is I need to make them like me. Yeah. That's, that's. Yeah. You know, it, it is optimized crapness in the sense that it's like, I've you know, seven minutes. That's not mm. long. I don't know what the obsession well, is not. with seven minutes. Mm. It seems like well, again, all the industries it, have hit on seven. Yeah, it but. will have been um, a, a, a time and motion study that's um, that's allowed someone to identify what value added activities are going on within yeah. that seven minute period. But again. Um, you, we're not talking here about making a, an inanimate product. Mm-mm. We are talking about the way people feel. And if you're going yeah. to insist that your staff make people feel like king and queen and mm-hmm. enjoy their experience, then I would argue then the extra few minutes of time invested in that relationship building is is actually good, a good investment. And it it um, yeah, it, it ultimately is likely to mean better uh sales higher sales Mm -hmm. and so on um obviously i can't i can't prove that yeah i haven't personally done a uh, a whole study around that but you do feel that there's something lost and it's because we partition all these these needed things in different places like in in the next breath you might go on a training course which is all about how to communicate effectively and how to use stories in in helping people to understand the benefits of this and that and the other. You know, well, that's great, but how does that fit into my seven minutes of allotted time? So that, yeah. I think that's part of the problem is the lack of joined up thinking when it comes to these sorts of there's, yeah, Well, exactly. There's so many different offshoots. I mean, like, mm. and, and again, as somebody who actually does care, like, you know, you go on these training courses, you're not allowed to fit shoes until you've, being qualified as a fitter because you can mess up children's feet you know if you're bad at your job so Mm. I would go home and think oh you know and I I hope I've done that right like I wasn't 100% um, happy with that but I let them take the sale anyway because they wanted it and I'm thinking oh I hope um, you know this kid isn't gonna have like Mm. misshapen toes because they literally um you know in the training courses would be like you know 
this is uh, lots of children have like uh, clawed toes because they wore Mm. shoes that were too small you know and they put all this sort of fear into you of you know if you do your job badly but then they're like do it in seven minutes so (laughs) you know the disjointedness of like Mm. Uh, of that and uh, i'm not everybody does care do you know what i mean so some people are just like yeah. it's just a job and they'll just do mm. it you know to the best of their ability but they go home and they don't ever think about they're it they're not going to think about it yeah 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 but... and again this comes down to individual differences that we've talked mm-hmm. about so much on this podcast can um can i bring it into the the cult life element i think let's do some now. cult life let's talk about yeah. um what you're going to discuss before of the uh way that we cope as well because i think that'll bring us into cult life quite nicely yeah okay um one of the things that um this article this sorry this paper called communities of coping talks about is the helpfulness or the usefulness of your fellow workmates if you like the people around you to help manage your own emotional labor so they describe it as communities of coping so we form communities of coping and that in a practical sense just means that we are able to talk to people who we work with about our emotional state. So, you know, we've had just a horrible customer come in and we can go to a friend and say, oh, she was just horrible, wasn't she? You know, mm. what horrible person. And that was really unpleasant. And well, we have a bit of a whinge exactly. and all of that. And that's part of this Why emotional think- coping why do you think the phrase Karen's has been on the rise? Because we've got to call them something, <laughs> you know. So it's, it's part of that community of coping. And we, so we kind of value the fact that we have others around us to be able to offload, if you like, and to be able to talk through how we feel, and then we're able to get on. Um, what's interesting is that some managers actually don't like that, or often managers don't like it, because what that sounds like is you're slagging off the customers, and, and that's not a good idea. So then what you're doing is you're trying to manage your own emotions um, internally and individually. And that's, I suppose that's the rise of training courses and so on that are designed to help people manage their own emotions on their own. Mm. So this, this article actually looks at, or this research looks at call centers and it did some research on four different call centers and the way that they the call centers managed people's emotional state. Yeah. Um, and so people have all sorts of strategies that allow them to talk to each other and help mm-hmm. with that emotional difficulty. Because of course, again, on the phone, you're supposed to be all happy and cheerful and helpful. But on the other hand, you know, you've often got to say, no, you can't, I can't put you through to this department or I can't do this or that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was quite an interesting one. But again, management often doesn't like these communities of coping they want people to be able to manage it themselves and internally and essentially silently Um, and that is not necessarily very healthy for those individuals so I think that's that's a bit of a problem for the industry Um, but yeah I wanted to really bring it into our discussion around high control groups and cults because I think that it's absolutely legitimate to apply that to high control groups and cults and indeed coercive relationships in in general. Mm. Um, So I wanted to talk about my experience when I was a witness, Jehovah's Witness. So we would talk about the kingdom smile. So if you're an ex-Jehovah's Witness now, you're probably sweating just a little bit um, because the kingdom smile was something that we were told we had to have 
pretty much at all times, especially if you're out on the ministry. But, you know, you really should have the kingdom smile all the time. Um, like a pageant and you're, queen. <laughs> indeed. You're <laughs> told that Jehovah's people are a happy people. Mm. Um, that's what is expected of you. Your Jehovah's Witnesses are a happy people. They've mm-hmm. got everything to be happy about. You know, they, they worship the, the greatest God. They have the hope for the future. Um, they have their brothers and sisters. What's to be unhappy about? And so let's just take things like going on the ministry, which is the door-to-door work that Jehovah's Witnesses do, certainly did before the COVID um, era, and the trolley work or the... Um, the lit cart. The lit cart, sorry, I couldn't remember <laughs> what it's called. A literature cart, um, and anything really where you're interacting, witnessing to people, you're expected to maintain a an emotional... Um, equilibrium which is all about being happy and demonstrating that Jehovah's Witnesses are happy Mm -hmm. because if you don't do that then you're putting people off essentially you know why would anybody want to join a religion that is full of miserable people so Jehovah's a happy God he wants his people to be happy Jehovah's Witnesses are the happiest people on earth we need to be happy well, it's so a sales you're tactic. Being told. You always smile Indeed. in sales, don't you? Imagine yeah. you go into yeah. a shop where everyone's frowning terribly. You, everybody smiles when they're selling you the thing. But imagine if that store that you've been talking about didn't just demand it when you're in the shop, but yeah. when you went home and mm. uh, you went out to the garden to, you know, to do a bit of gardening, and your neighbour was there. Hi. You know, happy, happy Stephen, saying hi to my Mm neighbour, always looking happy because we want to put this front on of happiness and Mm -hmm. um, contentedness and we don't ever want to look miserable and unhappy. Um, Now, again, they would probably probably deny that, but that's certainly the message that Jehovah's Witnesses are given is to maintain your happiness. So you're commanded essentially to be happy. And, and I've got there to is the other if side that's of true that. happiness when you're commanded well, to be happy. Anyway, you know. And the other side of that is if you're not happy, mm. you, know, you could be be putting somebody off, coming mm. into the truth, stopping them, you know, attracting them to the organization. So there's a there's a dark side of that too, which sort of says, you know, your miserableness could be stopping somebody from being interested yeah. in becoming a Jehovah's As Witness. As we've discussed before, I mean this is how extreme it can feel. It's um, kingdom smile or blood guilt. Yeah, exactly. So there you go. I, I remember when I was little, and I'm not exaggerating this, so I must have been, well, I was very young. I wasn't really able to, to actually partake in the service. In other words, I, you know, I might be able to just offer a magazine or something, but I couldn't knock on the doors on my own and so on. But I remember thinking, um, my my angelic little face looking up at them smiling is something I can do Mm. (laughs) to help them see, you know, um, to potentially come into the truth. How ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And so from a very young age, you're encouraged to um, actually have this demeanor, this happy demeanor, smiling, Mm -hmm. being pleasant. uh, And again, yeah. Although, of course, people did have mental health problems. Um, you, you couldn't 
um, you couldn't avoid that. And I would suggest there's probably more than the average mental health problems in these sorts of organizations because actually making people do that is not particularly healthy. You're not dealing no. with how you're actually feeling. You're just projecting a, an image. <laughs> exactly. it, we said yeah. it's, um, uh, we discussed this before with my friends and stuff. It's kind of like scary when you watch someone do it it's become so normalized within the witnesses that you're just like, yep, do that's fine. But like when you watch like your friends, say they're just like, yeah, and they've just been obviously having a really bad time. You've been, you know, maybe like crying or even you just like having a moan about what's going on. They're just really upset. And then, you know, someone else comes in the room. You don't want them. They don't want them to know about it. And they're like, Oh, hello. You're right. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like unsettling to watch, mm. but that becomes so normalized by the witnesses. It's like, and, and even, uh, prioritized and 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 sort of applauded like oh good good you're doing well and the brotherhood you're not only supposed to be warm and friendly and happy to people outside but you've also got to be like that within the congregation so mm. when you go to the meetings which used to be three times a week you'd you'd have to greet everybody with a warm smile hello brother such and such hello sister such and such it's like um, emma isn't it again we can compare to another austin <laughs> one you know when like she comes in and she's like mr keen mrs keen you know yeah. hello and nice to see you you know like and then just like sits down her face just like you know because yeah. it's like putting a lot of effort in like the, yeah, the joke it's like yeah putting a lot of effort in to seem nice yeah you know well it is very it's very um hard work isn't it to try and pretend to be happy and um you know, like people all the time just um, constantly called you just like oh yes mm -hmm. i i had a relative who i won't I won't name but um he always used to say um you've got to be a hypocrite to be in the truth And we used to laugh about it. We said, yeah, he's right, actually. Yeah, you have to be a hypocrite to be in the truth. Um, and, it, you know, he was absolutely right. It meant that you had to be nice to people who who weren't very nice. You had to say yeah. the right things. You had to do the right things. You had to look the right way. Um, just, I think yeah. it's very tiring. I just remembered a story. We have to be very vague, but, like, somebody that was very needy and constantly in need of an elder and one time that elder finally snapped at them yes. and gave it and was just like just basically leave me alone um yeah. do you know what yes. i mean and it's like I do. yeah um and, yeah and um, that's a good I point it's a constantly in need and people are constantly absolutely. like help me help me and they have no training mm. at least like you know yeah. in retail the biggest problem is like a customer kicking off at something that is normally not the end of the world you know yeah. it's just a bit inconvenient but sometimes people come to the elders with really big problems absolutely and or like or it can just be people yeah picking constantly being like what should i do about this mm. what does the what does the bible say about this what should i do can should yeah. i go to this shop or is this one better like you know for because they don't do this thing that we disagree with and so and yeah just snapping and be like oh no. It's a really good point. I hadn't thought about this um, before we started this conversation, but yeah, it's a really good point. Elders particularly are are probably the most um, required to put on, put on that kingdom. Certain... Yeah. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. And yeah, they're dealing with things that they are absolutely not trained to deal with. Just completely unequipped. Serious marital problems, um, serious mental health issues and i think we see from the way that 
the witnesses have handled uh, sexual abuse and mm-hmm. so on, child sexual abuse and other types of abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, wives who are being beaten and so on that that they they simply don't know how to deal with those situations. No, no of course not. And and the first thing that they have to consider is the very name Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm-hmm. They are witnesses to Jehovah, and that that very much tells you where the priority lies anything that's going to be a bad witness we really don't want that to come out and Mm. i think that's one of the big problems so you end up with with men completely unqualified trying to help people and i I do believe a lot of them are actually trying to help but at the same time they've got this other priority Mm -hmm. which is about the organization and the way it looks and the way that it looks to the world and the mm-hmm. witness it's giving and i just think it's so unfair to expect these uh, these unqualified um often men with you know not the raw materials really to deal with these these very very difficult issues so it's unfair on them yeah i, I think believe. it's the same it's the same issues with with the homeschooling thing it's just a mm. bunch of people that just aren't qualified to do yeah. the job they're attempting to mm. do do you know what i mean and just yeah. like this almost blind faith that yet yeah, the the bible and jehovah will make it all okay do you know what yeah. i mean like it all the answers will be in the books somewhere mm. we just got to follow it you know um yeah. and it's just yeah it, it's terribly emotional <laughs> Uh, emotional labor and uh, of course some people it won't be emotional labor in the sense that obviously i'm not i think there are elders that enjoy like you know the power and you know like the film apostate like you know Mm. uh, apostasy like there's obviously characters in there that i think are like you know you're like what you know um that there are i think elders that enjoy the power but i think there's a lot of elders that 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 don't and are yeah yeah because, like I said, we saw that um, there is that story of that elders just snapping. And I'm sure that there is lots of I, I that. Think, absolutely. I think I can say that I've seen both of those mm-hmm. two types of of elder. I've seen the emotional distress that comes from having to deal with things that you're not qualified or trained to deal with. Because um, even when you are, that can like. be difficult. There's therapists that have to oh, take breaks from, Absolutely. you know, from their yeah. own, or like therapists mm. need therapy sometimes because of you know, the work that they're doing. It's yeah. not like it's, I'm saying, oh, you just get qualified and then, you know, you've got the right tools. No. It's, it's always hard. It's just, it, it's really hard when, yeah, you're told to, um, yeah, always be being like, oh, yes, very happy, happy elder, such and such is here, you know. Yeah. and you've got a you've got a kind of very difficult line to walk so whereas the publisher can just be happy all the time Mm -hmm. um the elder obviously is dealing with things that are not appropriate to just be happy about you know so they they have to deal with these as spiritual men Mm. and that means that they their comportment (laughs) that word again has to be appropriate to that particular situation and um, again that's that's not always Mm. always easy Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think this this whole area of emotional labour is a very very interesting one. Obviously, we're interested in it for a number of reasons, and the more we thought about it, I and mean, the more certainly for me, the more I thought, yeah, absolutely, that's what certainly my experience is. Um, I don't, 
obviously know about all other cults and high control groups, but I think there are lots of similarities it's there. often, I think a lot of, is this the correct phrase for it? It's often the same thing, just in different clothes or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the more we talk to different people from different groups, which we right. want to continue doing, and we've got some, um, you know, we've got another person coming on elgin who's next moony so we've got yeah that's coming up so you guys can get involved with that conversation soon too but mm. the more we talk the more we realize yeah it's the same stuff it's just absolutely. dressed up in different clothes you know yeah yeah um, absolutely so yeah it's yeah there's a people just i i think that you know part of why yeah people seem so emotionally afflicted post leaving is because yeah you've especially with born ins you spent your whole life Mm. you know doing emotional labor for this group because you thought it was the right thing to do Mm. and then you know you've got to be you've got to think oh that was just anguish for anguish's sake you know or potentially yeah again it's it's all of this making sense of your own emotions Mm. and how you feel about things it's it's all i think it's all wrapped up could be overwhelming if you've spent a lot of your life just putting it in a box and being like Mm. you know hoping that you the box would never get full because the world would end and everything would be fine (laughs) you know it's eventually you you run out of space in your like compartmentalized little box (laughs) indeed okay so um i I think we've covered most of that um i i I don't want to um have no time for of the week tweet 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 of the week so welcome to tweet of the week and uh today celine is going to kind of lead on this because she's i took over the twitter for a bit um I'm I'm semi regularly on the Twitter now. And Dad He's is still doing a bit more on the on the Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dad's obviously the Twitter leader, um, as you can see from. <laughs> Am I the Twitter overseer? Yeah, yeah. Dad is the Twitter <laughs> overseer, and I just sort of pop in, you know. Um, so yeah, some if you uh, sometimes I'm the one responding. So we do say who it is when if you if people DM to, yeah. us. Yeah, we try and specify who it is, yeah. but when it's just so the what general. What was this one about then? Get to get to the point. Uh, so I'm just trying to find it. That was me stalling, uh, actually. Because, right, okay. <laughs> um, like, Twitter's so hard. It just, everything goes into the void so quickly. Hmm. Um, I think my highlight of the week was watching the guy turn himself into various different inanimate objects. <laughs> Which has got obviously nothing to do with uh, JWs or anything. But that is amazing. Kevin hmm. Parry... A collection of me turning into random objects. It's just absolutely awesome. Although if you want something lighthearted then. Um <laughs> I found I found right, okay. our relevant tweet of the week. Go for it. Okay, Tell so us. we've got um so I said uh on the fifteenth I said question for you. Do you think all cult leaders are narcissists? Uh kind of coming off the back of our narcissism mm. episode. Um because basically at the start of the episode I I said um it's like that marilyn monroe quote you know it That's right. yeah it um not all just have, have to be, be narcissists mm. but oh my goodness doesn't it help um mm. so i kind of posed that to our twitterverse to see what they thought based on that um 
So, I mean, someone that uh, has been quite active on the Twitter recently and in, um, in talking to us uh, called Self Exiled or uh, I, at I Exile on the um, mm. Twitter says, maybe not all of them, but many cult leaders, just like tyrants, uh, start asterisk. Some CEOs certainly exist, exhibit <laughs> narcissistic and or psychopathic traits. Mm. Try and say that 10 times faster. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. Um, and this this one was an interesting one. So they said, yes, very much so. And unfortunately, members become sociopaths. We're all trained to lie and deceive. So that's interesting. Um, so that was yeah. from at Jackie underscore Haylig. So I think that's interesting. I'm just as, you know, some a thought put out in the universe. Um, so I think that maybe sounds more negative. I think you can phrase that in a way that's like you're all sort of trained to lie and deceive or maybe you know to yourself then that you're trying to like you know yeah get people to believe and be on side and so on because it's and so on but yeah going on to our uh guests we had recently mentally diseased responded mm. um because obviously he's, he said he's quite interested in narcissism um and he said he definitely thinks most cult founders at the very least is at the very least are narcissists and instill narcissistic control methods into their policies and theology after that who knows but many surely would need to be to climb that ladder mm. which i think is true like yeah in order yeah. to yeah the the it's like people say about politicians i think in the episode like yeah you've got to in order to think you're worthy of leading people you've got to have mm. a lot of potentially self-belief we, and we said that didn't we yeah um, i think what what i'm thinking about with um with germs um comment there as well is um you know think about jehovah's witnesses from obviously we don't know the characters um, we only know them from what other people have said about them who mm. started jehovah's witnesses but um obviously thinking just about that um russell from what i understand was uh people generally quite liked him and although he was there are some question marks about his financial activities and whether he got involved in a few kind of slightly mm. dodgy ones um i think it sounds like uh rutherford who was the next president was much more aggressively narcissistic than russell so that's quite interesting how sometimes the founder is a narcissist and other times it can be that the organization gets led by a narcissist in which case things go in a slightly different direction i think mm. if you look at how the organization developed once rutherford who is the second president once he got the reins it's very it's a very different organization to yeah. the one that russell started and that could just be because the organization got bigger or it could be because of rutherford himself mm-hmm. um so yeah probably so, a, a subject for other people who are a bit more schooled in the history of jw's but yeah i mean um so we've got someone called uh Caitlin Patricia here saying that not necessarily but I'm not sure perhaps in the beginning it's an earnest Mm. desire to fight perceived monsters then without governance Mm. by morality or values they become the monsters they think they're fighting which was interesting yeah the chicken and the magpie having a battle (laughs) chicken and magpie you don't get this on every podcast (laughs) I'm telling you so now you can hear tip tap of the dog (laughs) oh no so, yeah, I'm welcome follows. to my home. Um, okay, 
Uh, and yeah, someone responded on. to that actually, which was an interesting one. Uh, so saying, you've nailed it. I've seen that organ that organization turn once humble men into monsters. Mm-hmm. They uh, the ones they don't turn are the good ones, and um, what they do to them is far worse. They become severe alcoholics wasting away. <laughs> it's a bit sad, but like mm-hmm. so, they're saying that yeah, they think it's less about the individual and more about um. Like, situation yeah situational mm. so a few people have said you know it's about uh, so someone's uh called um psy skeptic saying they think it's more about uh, environmental factors rather than personality factors um yeah. and that's some so there's kind of these two things of people thinking it both and i think i'd probably say a bit of a mix really in that it it encourages people that are maybe narcissistic to join them and then maybe ones that join it out of earnest belief could be turned do you know what i mean so there's those two kind of viewpoints yeah. going on um which i think yeah i mean again if you look yeah. at leadership in uh sort of dictatorships and so on often there is a sense that that the person mm-hmm. went on a bit of a journey so i guess it is possible to start off from a position that you know you you actually think you can help your country you yeah. think you are the person to put mm-hmm. it right mm-hmm. um and yeah so it could be that yeah interesting yeah so i think that's like the two kind of points of view i think a lot of people basically yeah. think i don't pretty much everyone thinks there's narcissists in these cults it's just how they got to that point is is yeah. different so yeah some people thinking yeah it's a, 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 a can't get like a fault in the person like they were always that way and this just gave them a place to put it and then there's some that yeah. um i think that you know it, it it's an encouragement of, of these groups yeah. so yeah yeah i think big head aristocrat I quite like their comment mm-hmm. um they they say no because of the way the question was mm. um posed they say they're all kind of cults leaders and the means by which a person becomes a leader. Narcissism is also a spectrum. So from that point of view, the answer is yes, because we're all on that spectrum. So yeah, um, that is interesting. And, and I guess it's, um, is narcissism a spectrum would be, I suppose, the, the nub of the question I would challenge back to Big Head Aristocrat. Great point, but I would challenge, is narcissism actually a, um, a spectrum or is it a a constellation of characteristics mm. um so whilst personality types or traits factors are tend to be described as spectrums or dimensions as more properly would be called mm. um narcissism is not a kind of personality factor it's a it's a constellation of them that come together to create a characteristic or a set of characteristics yeah. um but yeah, very good question. I don't know, you know, don't know the answer to it. No, and I mean, I responded to that one just saying, yeah, it seems like a simple question, doesn't it? But yeah, it's actually quite sure. complex. Um, so yeah, we got loads of interaction. There's more on there. So mm. if you want to check out the thread, mm. please do. But it was a really good conversation. I enjoyed it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and a few few little gifts on there as well, which yeah. is always nice to see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Cool. So that was a good question, Sleeve. Well done. Yes. I can go away. Thank again. you, sir. Get over here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, um, I got to a point last week where I, I was actually feeling quite stressed and um, I feel actually quite down. 
and I, I felt that I just needed to take a break. I hadn't planned to take a break, but I just um, got to a point where I was kind of getting a bit obsessed with everything. And I think um, you've got to take days off. It's I, very I did, important. Yeah, and every and because a note to everybody: take you days did, off because of the nature of life now, where you you know you don't. I've not been to a workplace as such for mm-hmm. about two years now. So I, I work from home, whether that be paid work or unpaid work or whatever. So my life is always sat at this computer and I just felt that I just needed to, to just put it down for a bit. Mm-hmm. So that's why I kind of disappeared for a, for a few days. Yeah. Um, by the time you hear this, it'll probably be three weeks ago. But um, But yeah, it was, yeah. So that is, I think, yeah, certainly a learning for me to just, must take days off (laughs) indeed and not even just when you get starting getting to a point of stress you've got to to uh, not to get too preachy as we've already discussed how much we hate self-help but i think one basic bit of advice that Mm. is good for everybody is build days off into your life and schedule indeed indeed good that's what we'll leave the world on days uh, off are important (laughs) that was tweet of the week yes of the week tweet 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 of the week okay so um so i guess we're we're at the end of our podcast yeah. um i found that personally quite interesting i hope i hope you did too mm-hmm. as an audience um so we've I've been doing a bit of work on the Patreon thingy. So if you are enjoying the podcast and you'd like to support it, then head across to the Patreon page. Um, I've actually done a bit of a special offer, mm. um, which has essentially provided that whatever tier you're interested in, you can for the next two months, well, it depends when this goes out, but until the end of September, you can get all the benefits of the one up from that. So if you are interested in cognitive dissonance level, then you can go up to halo level. If you're interested in halo level, you can go up to um, IKEA level. Um, so basically trying to tempt people to, uh, to be a patron. And actually the best value at the moment is just that one pound mm. um, tier, because even at that one pound tier, you can get, uh, the video that we do every month, you can get um, the video version of the organizations as or cults as organizations, and you get uh, everything a bit quicker as well. So it's good value for a pound. You know, what is that? Nothing. <laughs> exactly. Um, so anyway, that's that's the ad. <laughs> there we go. Enjoy. <laughs> right. Thanks uh, for listening. Don't, don't forget to like and subscribe and all those things. We do, do, we do love the comments, the reviews and stuff. So. Yeah. And as always, you can get some merch. So, yeah, that's right. You're the thing. Uh, but yeah. most importantly, keep talking to us. We've got loads of really interesting conversations on Twitter. It is the way that we ta- kind of talk to everybody throughout the week. And uh, yeah, I kind of enjoy it. So keep doing that. Yeah. Thank you very awesome. much. Thank you. Bye. 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 What Should I Think About is an Evil Sheep production. <laughs>